Hi again. We're going to continue now in our series Creation Calling. And uh, I want you to imagine, if you will, two scenes perhaps. One, a playground. It's, it's a lovely atmosphere. The children are playing happily. Maybe there's swings round about some of this and they're all having fun. There's a lot of life to it. And then a bully steps in. A child that other children are just wary of. He's a bit intimidating, he or she. And uh, he comes in and he spoils everything. And everyone's life is just made a misery. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Or there's, secondly, a, a group of friends or a family situation. And again, relationships are good. People trust one another. And then a selfish individual rises to the fore, perhaps a member of the family or one of the friends, and becomes just somewhat demanding. And they upset the relationships. They upset the harmony. I can tell you, again, as a pastor, I've known families like that, where that's been the case. So in those two scenes, what we have are harmonious communities beautiful relationships and there's joy in those situations and they're thrown into chaos and disharmony. And of course, in the physical creation, humanity is the bully. Humanity is the selfish individual who upsets things, comes muscling in, spoiling everything. Well, bullies can change. People can learn to be unselfish. And perhaps that's something of where we want to go with this series, Creation Calling. And today I just want to examine this community of creation and how it was originally shaped. Next week, Erica is going to look at humanity and, and the, the role we've assumed and to what extent it fits with the biblical pattern for us. But today we're just going to look at this wonderful community of creation. And like I say, we're going to look at Psalm 104 as a springboard for us. In that psalm, we have a wonderful, flourishing creation, interdependent there's synergy, there's wonderful relationships between the members of creation and the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. And of course, there is this tremendous harmony. Well, what do we see in Psalm 104? There's a physical environment that's wonderfully ordered. The earth, the sun, the moon, they all know their place. The seas have their boundaries. The winds obey their orders. Waters flow and nourish the land. Trees and grass grow and their waters provide drink for the animals. There's a huge diversity of these creatures. Mountain goats climb craggy rock faces. There's the lions of the plains waiting upon God for their food. And the stalks of the air, of course, bringing babies. And in it all, there's tremendous abundance and life. The seas teem. The land is wholly satisfied. No wonder then that the psalmist in verse 24 says, How many are your works, O Lord? Just this tremendous, flourishing, diverse, harmonious creation. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture, isn't it?
So let's dig a bit deeper today, shall we, into this creation community. And I want to just show a few things from scripture that certainly, as I've been preparing, has really shaped my thinking, or I should should say reshaped my thinking in terms of creation. Firstly, what we see is this. It's a created community. All of it is, including human beings. Psalm 104, one writer has said, emphasises a fellow creatureliness among us all, animals and human beings. We are fellow creatures. There are distinctives that we have as humanity. And like I say, we'll look at those next time. But we are fellow creatures. We're creatures created together. Douglas Moo says this then, talking about Psalm 104. It is a vision that challenges any exclusively human-centred narrative of God's purposes in and for the world he made. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that humanity has put ourselves centre of the narrative. Romans 1.20 tells us that creation reveals him. We see his invisible qualities from what has been made. And so creation centres on God, not on us. If you like, creation is theocentric, not anthropomorphic centric. And we need to understand then that we are fellow creatures. I think if we get a grasp of this, we will walk this earth with greater humility than we presently do. It will avoid us walking in arrogance. And whilst we are not pantheists, pantheism is the belief that all the physical world is God. Well, we believe God of the Bible is separate to his creation. But nonetheless, this understanding that we are fellow creatures will help us perhaps to recover a sense of the sacred, of a sense of awe at creation, not just that it's ours to use and abuse as we please. So firstly, it's a created community. Secondly, it's a conserved community. God is a conservationist. It's clear in scripture that's the case. In Psalm 104 again, God continues to value and sustain his creation. He places all things in order. He provides food for animals and humans alike. Water flows, grows the grass and trees, etc. And Hebrews 1 again makes this clear. Talking of Jesus, it says he is sustaining all things by his word. God speaks and continues to speak creation into life. And we see as well in the Old Testament, there are laws to preserve and prosper creation, all areas of creation. Leviticus 25, for example, tells us of the Sabbath year. And the way God desires that the land itself is cared for and animals for their own sakes, not in terms of how useful they are to humanity. Look at Leviticus 25 verses 1 to 7. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, 
When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. So God cares for the wild animals for their own sake. He feeds them in the year of Sabbath. And there's a fascinating upshot in the account of Noah and the flood. Those of you not familiar with this story, the sin of humanity has increased throughout the earth. And God just realises he needs to start again. And so he sends flood on the earth, but saves humanity and actually the animal kingdom through Noah. In this story, it's interesting, isn't it? God works to avoid the extinction of animals. That in itself is a sobering lesson. And he's such a committed conservationist that he covenants with Noah. He makes an agreement with Noah, but also with the animal world. And again, let's read this. Genesis 9 verses 8 to 11. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I will now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I established my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You see there, God covenanting with the animals. Fascinating. So it's a conserved community that God cares passionately for. Interestingly, thirdly, it's a completing community. It's completing, not competing. And this is good. For many years now, I've carried Genesis 1.28 as a very formative verse for me in terms of understanding our role as humanity in creation. It's a bigger issue for us than just how do we do church. It's about how do we do as humanity creation. And God gives at the outset what's been called the creation mandate. And as far as I can see, that mandate to all humanity has never been taken back, never rescinded. We're still charged with the charge of Genesis 1.28. It says this, God blessed them, humanity, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humanity there, humankind, is, is told it's blessed. The word is barak. It's to be fruitful, para. 
It's to increase or multiply, rabbah. And it's to fill the earth. The word is male. This word fill is interesting. It means to perfect or bring to completion. And so humanity's role as we create culture together, as we exercise uh, our domain in education and business and finance and politics and home and family and community, we're to bring all of creation to fulfillment, to use all the resources of creation to fulfill their potential. I was so interested to read this week Genesis 1.22, prior to the mandate to humanity. This is a, a command to the birds and the fish, and I, I believe to all animals. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Folks, you have exactly the same words. Exactly. They are blessed, Barak. They are to be fruitful, Parah. They are to increase or multiply, Rabah. And they are to fill, bring the earth to completion, Male. Animals, no less than us, are involved in completing creation, in fulfilling all the potential that God has put in the earth. The animals are are co-workers in this sense of bringing creation to perfection. I think God has given them tremendous dignity in this. And whilst they'll do it in a different way, we are called to do it volitionally. We have to step into that mandate. Animals just do it out of their nature. They've got a lot to teach us, haven't they? You see, they fulfill this creation mandate. They go about God's work in completing creation without complaining. They do it just obediently, just out of their nature, wholly serving his purposes. And so it gives animals, the animal world, tremendous dignity. They're a, we're a completing community together. And then finally, we're a community of celebration. Well, who celebrates? Well, Psalm 104 tells us a few things. Firstly, God celebrates. It says, verse 31, may the Lord rejoice in his works. God looked at creation, saw it was good. He celebrated over creation. But in verses 33 and 34, there's a charge to us. We are called as human beings to celebrate as we contemplate creation. And maybe it's just worth stopping here to say, do we do that? Hopefully this series, certainly preparing this sermon, has caused me to do this, just to contemplate creation. I was very struck in this season we've been in, particularly back in March, April, when we were in a more restricted lockdown. And things were quieter and the sky was clearer and you could see the stars. The number of times I read and heard people saying, I could hear the birds singing. And you've only got to Google and see Pictures of animals wandering along city streets that are deserted and quiet. We've almost been forced to contemplate creation more. We've been given that opportunity. 
Well, what's our response to be? Psalm 104 tells us, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. This rejoicing set in the context of contemplating creation. It's interesting. This psalm actually is recited daily as part of the Eastern Orthodox rituals and church services. And Douglas Moo again says this. It's important for us to find ways to include creation in our regular readings and hymns if we are to reflect its prominence in scripture itself. There have been times in history very different to our modern, more materialistic, um, evangelical spiritualities. As evangelicals, I believe we're holding on to a lot that's good, but I think we've lost some things as well. For example, anyone who's read anything about the Celts will know here was a group of people very missionally minded, but wholly in tune with creation and rejoicing in God because of that. And finally, who else celebrates? The whole of creation celebrates. Psalm 148, uh, from which Matt Redmond actually wrote, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, says this in verses 7 to 10. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, are all encouraged, commanded to praise the Lord. Now, obviously, some of this is a metaphor of trees and fields and mountains worshipping. But Richard Borkham says, but the metaphor points to a reality. All creatures bring glory to God simply by being themselves and fulfilling their God-given roles. And again, there's a tremendous lesson in here for us. You see, we could say that they are part of a carefree community. Psalm 104 20, verse 26 talks about the sea creature Leviathan. Nobody's quite sure what that animal is, but it says it was formed to frolic. And that word, it means to just laugh and play and rejoice. God creates creatures just to revel in being. We have one daft dog in our house called Lola. Anyone that's been to our house has seen it. And just in, again in preparing this sermon, I've just come to appreciate this silly dog that just chases round and round and round. Why? Because God's made it that way, just to enjoy being in a way as humans we so often don't. These creatures so trust the provision and care of their creator that they see creation as a playground and they're just going to relax and enjoy it. And there's such a lesson in there for us. We have the same caring, providing creator. And so we're invited to join this cosmic choir of all creation, praising and celebrating God 
for his creation. So let's conclude, shall we? I'm part of the baby boomer generation. I was born in 1965, right on the border of the baby boomers and Generation X. And I have to say, I think older generations, our understanding of the damage humanity has been doing to creation has been limited. Some of you will remember back in the 80s, we thought we were solving the issue of the hole in the ozone layer because we weren't putting CFC gases on the back of fridges and we thought that would do it. Well, there's so much more to the issues than that, aren't there? And of course, we're now tragically playing catch up and we need to, don't we? For the sake of our children and grandchildren. And I think it can help us having a biblical understanding, wrestling with these issues as we come to understand that we are fellow creatures, that creation is God-centred, not human-centred. Maybe we'll begin to walk in humility or maybe even more significantly, we'll walk in repentance. Do we need to repent as humankind and maybe even individually for our selfish and arrogant attitudes we've been the bully in the playground haven't we disrupting things bringing chaos to all of creation and I certainly I've come to understand through preparing here that God has put far more dignity in the rest of creation in the animal kingdom than I'd previously understood. And we need to honour that. So folks, let's engage with this series. Let's put into practice some of the actions. Let's study more. Let's really look into this. And let's walk in humility in this area as best we can. Let's pray now, shall we? And so Father, we do come to you And we rejoice in your creation. We thank you for the wonder and majesty of it. I pray, Lord, help us as a church to soak in your word and what it says about creation. And may we be filled again with childlike awe and reverence for all you have put in place. And Lord, may we honour your creation. May we not ride roughshod over things. May we not be dismissive of those trying, working so hard, serving passionately to put things right. Lord, I want to pray even for older generations, Lord, that we would take this to heart. And even at our stage of life, would we begin to change habits that are destructive. And Lord, I pray even for this simple series we're putting together in this local church, I pray that we would become a church that walking good habits of creation care. So Father, help us, Holy Spirit, show us ways we can change for the better and look after the wonderful creation that Jesus is sustaining by his word and died to redeem. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.